0: If you got your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we will once again this week be in the parable of the talents, verses 14 through 30. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Uh, as as you all know, we've been going through the the parables. Um, I was looking this week, and we'll probably start to wind this down pretty quickly. Um, probably another <clears throat> maybe four to six weeks. Um, I'm I'm probably not going to end up covering every single one because some of them are just uh, kind of repetitive of things we've already taught. So I'm not sure yet, but probably about another about another four to six weeks would be my would be my guess, and then we'll. Move on to the next thing, which I've already got planned. All right, uh, let's uh, begin as, as we begin this this uh, talk about this parable. Let's first of all remind ourselves of the uh, of the context. You remember, in <clears throat> it is Passion Week, uh, which is the last week uh, that Jesus has here on this earth. Um, uh, he's going to be crucified on Friday. He comes into the uh, Jerusalem on Sunday, riding on a donkey. They're shouting Hosanna. Uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And within five days, there'll be the same people who said, Hosanna, will be saying, crucify him. So this has happened on Sunday. Uh, he's, he spends a couple days in Jerusalem. On Tuesday, uh, he leaves the temple. And then in, in Matthew chapter 24, you'll find him leaving uh, the temple for the last time for that week. And his disciples, as they're leaving, they look at the buildings and they say, man, look at all this Look at this complex. Look how, how great everything is. And Jesus tells them, he says, I tell you the truth, not one of these stones will be left upon another. And, of course, his prophecy will come true in about 35 years. And so they leave Jerusalem. They cross the Kidron Valley. They go to the Mount of Olives. And he's there, and the dis- disciples come to him privately. And they, I guess they've been thinking about what he said. And they said, well, tell us, when are these things going to happen? What's going to be the signs that we're to to look for uh at the end of the age so jesus uh in chapter 24 begins to talk about his second coming and he 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 and by the time you go through chapter 24 he has said five times that you won't know the day and the time you can know you can look you can see signs of it right but you will not know the exact day and the exact time when i'm going to be uh coming and then in chapter twenty five. He tells two parables. He tells the parable of the ten virgins, and he tells the parable of the talents. And both of them basically have the same meaning or the same message, and that is that we need to be ready, because we don't know the day and the time that he's going to come back. So you and I need to be ready. Now, these parables, are they both have the same message, but they're different in, in one specific way. The parable of the ten virgins is all about how we are to wait. It's about the attitude of our heart while we're waiting. Right? It's all about the inside. But the parable of the talents is not about the inside at all. It's about the outside. It's about while we're waiting. It's about what we are supposed to be doing. And these two are very closely related, and they give us a beautiful view of what we should be doing while we're waiting on the return of. Of Jesus, so let's come to Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through fifteen, and we'll just review very quickly what we learned last week. Verse fourteen, Jesus says that the, the end of the age is going to be like this: it will be like a man going on a journey, and he called his servants and he entrusted to them his property, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now this is a this is a smart man. Okay, he's got a big estate. He's he he's grown his his fortune over time. He 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 knows his servants, right? He knows which one's smart. He knows which one's not as smart. He knows which one is is a risk taker. He knows which one is lazy. He knows which one is uh, uh uh willing to to do more work. He he knows all this about his servants. So the Bible tells us he apportions his money accordingly. Okay, Smart guy. He's not going to give the most money to the lazy one. He's going to give the most money to the one who's got the the business skills to turn that money uh, around. And I wanted to be sure last week that we were very clear on what this, this parable is about. He is not giving them abilities. I, I just think that is so key. Sometimes we think, well, he's given one the ability to sing and another one the ability... He That's true, by the way. They're born with those things. But that's not what this is about. It's not about what abilities. It's about the opportunity He gave them to use those abilities. Everybody see the difference there? And I think that is just key here. They already had the abilities. It says He apportioned them money according to those abilities. He gave them opportunities to use those abilities to further the kingdom. And so, again, I think we we miss that sometime. Each man's ability determine the opportunity that he was given. Now, it's obvious when you look at this parable, this is not a parable about a landowner and money. That's not what it's about. This the, The landowner here, or the wealthy man here, is Jesus. And this is all about when he goes away on a long journey, this is Jesus going back to heaven, right? And he's going to be gone a long time. And while he's gone, we are to be working. We are to be using our abilities, our talents and use the opportunities he he's given us to further the kingdom. That's that's what this this parable is all about. Yet every single one of us is different, right? Some of us uh, are more intelligent than others. Some of us can speak better than others. Some of us are better at encouraging other people than, than some of us are. Some of us have just got gifts of mercy. We're just more merciful. We're more empathetic toward other people than some of us are. And, and again, some of us are a one talent person. Some of us are a two talent. Some of us are a five talent. Maybe there's a ten talent. That's that's all okay, by the way. You shouldn't walk around thinking, well, you know, God, he just I'm just a one talent guy. You know, it, that's not it at all. God, he's not concerned with how many what your talent is. He's concerned with how you use it. That's the whole point of this thing. See, he turns around no matter how different we are. He turns around and gives you opportunities in accordance with your ability. And the issue is going to be on Judgment Day, what did you do? It's not that you were a one-talent or a five-talent person. The issue and the question will be, what did you do with the opportunity that I gave you? I gave you one. He may stand in front of somebody and say, I gave you one ability, and that was to encourage you couldn't sing, you couldn't speak, you, you, you weren't good with numbers, but I gave you the ability to be an encourager. That was my gift to you. What did you do with that? Did you encourage people in the kingdom? Did you take every opportunity at work and at home and, and on Facebook and whatever medium it is? Did you take those opportunities to use that talent to be in? that's the question, not what, what the talent was, but how did you use the opportunity? So let's look at verse 16 and 17 and see what these guys did. It says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. Now, notice both of these guys, the Bible says they went at once. You see, they had a heart to serve. They didn't have a heart that says, You know what, I'm just going to put this off, and when I get around to it, I know i got this money or maybe I'll go use this gift he gave me to further what I want to do, my own selfish plan, and later on I'll come back and invest a little bit and do a little bit for the king. No, they took what they had and they immediately went at once and, and they traded, they, they did whatever they did, and they made money for the kingdom. The point is here, they maximized whatever it was, the two-gift and the five-gift guy, they both maximized their opportunity. Okay, because they had a heart to serve the Lord. But look at verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, the point here to notice is this guy did absolutely nothing. He had one talent that God had given him. He had that one ability, and then God gave him an opportunity, and he did absolutely nothing with it, just buried it. Okay? Okay? Now, now we, we need to understand, I said this last week and I want to repeat it again, we need to understand what Jesus is teaching here. This does not mean that five talent people are always going to be the winners and one talent people are always going to be the losers. In fact, we said last week, the reason Jesus told it this way is because he wants us to understand that no matter your ability, you are responsible to do something with it. Because if you look at that parable, the, the one person that seems to be the most excusable is the one-talent guy, right? After all, he, he he didn't have a whole lot going for him. So you would think, well, maybe he'll let him off, but he doesn't let him off. In fact, we'll see at the end of the parable, he is very angry. causing calls him evil. He calls him lazy. So there is no excuse. So that's why he tells It's not that the five-talent guys are always winners. The one-talent people are always the losers. That's not it at all. He's saying, even if you're a one-talent, I'm going to require an answer from you. I'm going to require fruit from you, just like I will from everybody else. Because in the end, there's coming a day of reckoning. Look look at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. So This is Jesus. After a long time, after 2,000 years or 2,500 years or whatever the case is, he's gonna come back and he's gonna settle accounts. He's gonna open the books and say, hey, here's what I gave you. What did you do? Okay? Look at verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, Master, you gave me five talents. Here I made five talents more. You can just see, as I said last week, the boldness and the excitement, right? There ain't no shame here. He got five talents, and he said, "Look what I did." I mean, he just came right up, and he was ready to—he was ready to be judged because he was. It's like—it's like uh, uh, I was saying last week. You know, you ever uh, just know the answer to something, and they ask somebody asking, your hand just shoots up, right? Because I mean, there's no fear, there's no—I mean, you're just like, "Hey, I know the answer." Well, this guy was ready because he had maximized his opportunity. And his master said to him, verse 21, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I said last week, I don't understand this, but what you do in this life dictates what you do in the next. Something you, there are going to be, in the next life, there's going to be responsibilities. You're going to have things to do in heaven. You, you will be set over things. And what you do here determines what you do there. I I, I can't explain that. I don't know exactly what that is, but that's what he told him. You've been faithful here on this earth over a little. I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents, verse 22, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. Listen, the two-talent guy teaches us a huge lesson. See, God delights in faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Let me say that again. God delights in that you are faithful, not in how much fruit you deliver. He says the exact same thing to the two-talent guy that he said to the five-talent. Well done. Well done. You've been faithful over a little I will set you over much. See, the faithful use of a small gift gives God just as much delight and just as much pleasure as the faithful use of a big gift. Everybody with me? It's all about faithfulness, not fruitfulness. It's not about, I'm just this little guy sitting over here at this little church in this little county, and I'm never going to be... That's not about it at all. He's saying, I put you in that little church in that little county in that little out of the way place and i gave you these opportunities now what did you do with it and you're just as responsible as billy graham just as responsible as billy graham to do he you, he was given certain gifts and certain opportunities and you're given certain gifts and certain opportunities and you're both equally responsible and god will delight just as much in you as he does in him if you're faithful with what he's given you See, what pleases God is not that this guy can preach and that that one's a beautiful singer or that one's just a great prayer warrior or this one can work with his hands and build beautiful... That's not what it is. What pleases God is that what does each one of those do with that gift? It's about faithfulness, not about fruitfulness. Now, look at verses 24 to 25. Let's look at the one-talent guy because that's what we want to cover the rest of the day. He also, he, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what's yours. Okay? Now remember, this guy is a servant. Okay? He's supposed to be a servant just like the other two. Yet in the end, there are two things that betray him. Okay, betray. He's supposed to love his master. He's supposed to be serving his master, but there's two things that are going to betray him. Number one, he has no fruit. Okay, we talk about this all the time, right? God is looking for fruit. What's your fruit? You'll know them by their fruit. Well, this guy has absolutely no fruit. Now, this is this is not a guy that's anti-God. He's not an atheist. He's not this... This uh, guy that's going around and and putting down Jesus and all this—he—he's not wasting his master's goods like the unjust steward of Luke 16. He doesn't spend it all in riotous living, right? I mean, he could have went out and just couldn't he? Couldn't you just spend it all on on partying and prostitutes like the like the prodigal did in in Luke 15? He doesn't embezzle it. He doesn't steal it like the unmerciful servant in in, in Matthew 18. He's not doing any of those things. He just dug it in the ground. He just dug a hole and put it in the ground. See, the fact, he just does nothing with it. See, you may be sitting here today, and 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 God's given you certain things, and you've been going to church a while, and you, you're like, man, I'm not like the prodigal. I'm not out spending it on drugs and prostitutes and all of that. And And you may say, I'm not stealing it. I'm not embezzling it like the unjust steward. I'm not doing any of those things. But are you like this guy? See, that's the thing. This guy just did nothing. Didn't waste it. Didn't spend it. Didn't do any of those things. He just did nothing. He wasted his opportunity. And that is what we'll see is that's just as tragic as the others. So what does he do? How does he justify himself? Let's watch this. He attacks... And he makes excuses. The first thing he says to try to... He, you know, he's called up, right? Tell me what you did. He said, well, I dug a hole. I didn't do anything. But well, why didn't you do anything? Well, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, that word hard in the Greek is scleros. It's where we get the English word sclerosis. We, we all know about, what is it? Arterial sclerosis, which is a hardening of the arteries. That comes from the Greek word scleros. It means hard. You're a, you're a hard man. Listen, religion is full of people who are going to try to make this excuse one day. It's just too hard. All that commandment stuff, all that, all that, it's just too hard. God, God's just unbending. Too many rules. I just can't do all that. It's just, I need to live my life, right? Serve a God or sir, I don't want to be with people who condemn me or too judgmental, uh, too ungracious, too unmerciful. I just I can't I can't do all that. And they'll try to use that as an excuse. And then he attacks again. Now watch what he says. You reap where you did not sow and you gather where you scattered no seed. Now basically what he's saying right here, you're a thief. Is that not what he's saying? Anybody that reaps where they don't sow and they and they gather where they don't scatter seed, that's a thief. That's somebody that goes in and and, and takes from somebody else's Uh, field or somebody else's work so he's basically calling God a thief so he's saying to God I know two things about you number one you are hard and you're ungracious and number two you take things from other people that you don't work for now let me ask you does either one of those sound like our God no see that's the point he doesn't know his master at all he doesn't know God at all. That, that's the whole point. There's no relationship there. He doesn't know his master's heart. He's blind to his grace. He's blind to his mercy. And, and by the way, he's equally blind to his glory and to his worthiness, which is probably even even, even worse. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, and we've, we've talked about this in this class and, and called this up several times. It says, on that day, Jesus says, this is back on the Sermon on the Mount, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we know you, we worked for you, we served you. And in the end, he'll say, man, I, I don't know you. We never had a relationship. You don't know me. You don't know my heart. Right? I mean, it's about a relationship. That, that's, and this man, this servant here, this he doesn't know his master. So he just digs a hole and puts it in the ground. Look at verses 26 to 27. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Now, he doesn't say to this guy, Oh, you poor misguided little fool, right? He doesn't pat him on the back and say, It's okay, you're just a one-talent person. You know, you just was—you were born in this little out-of-way place, and you didn't have culture, and you didn't uh, have—you were never educated, and it's okay. You just had a misguided theology. No, see, the master knows him; he knows his heart, and he says you're wicked and you're lazy. This ain't about education. It's not about—it's not about any of that stuff. He just said you're wicked and you're lazy. You took the talents and you took the opportunities that I gave you and you made no use of them. Why? Because it got in the way of your plans and your selfish ways, right? You had a plan for your life. You had things that you wanted to do. It might be that today, just watching TV. It might be going somewhere or saving this money to do something you want to do, but it had nothing to do with my kingdom. Your whole life was just built around you. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What do you want to think? What do you want to do? and you never gave me a second thought. Sure, you didn't run out and waste it. You weren't doing drugs and with prostitutes, and you were going to church, and and you were trying to live a good life and all that stuff, but you didn't give my kingdom a second thought. You just buried it, right? See, this guy, in the end, would not give up his own selfish plans to toil in the master's servant because that wasn't in his heart. He doesn't have any heart for that. He has no relationship... With this man, he has no relationship with this God. So in the end, he just remains a wicked and lazy person. And that drives all the decisions in his life. I want to go back and look at something because it can be a little bit confusing. Look at verses 26 to 27. The man says this, and by the way, this man represents Jesus. He says, you know, he says, you knew, and I want you to look at the question mark. You knew, he's asking him, you're saying you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered. You know that? You see, what he's saying to this guy, he's saying, oh, is that so? You think you know me. You you think I'm a hard man. You're afraid of me, right? But he serves that man, he says, you still have no excuse. Because even in your fear, if you were that afraid of me, you would at least have taken my money and put it in the bank, So that when I come back, I'd have got my 1% interest or whatever they're paying now, which is useless. But anyway, that's another subject. Um, But at least I could have got 1% interest. If you were that afraid of me and you thought that's really who I was, you would have at least done that one little thing. And I could have at least got a little bit of interest. You see, what he's saying to this guy is, son, you're lying. What you're saying right now is a lie. You're trying to get out of this judgment. You're trying to get out of this accountability by putting it all on me. But that's a lie. Like I said, you didn't hide it in the ground because you were scared of me. Because if you'd have really been afraid of me, if you really would have feared me, then you'd have been at least smart enough to go put it in the bank and get a little bit of interest when I that I could have got a little bit of interest. That's all a lie. You don't know me. The fact is... When I really looked down deep in your heart, he's saying, you didn't care who I was. You didn't care what I was, I was like. You had your own life that you were going to live, and so you basically ignored any opportunity I gave you. You'd come into Sunday school, and they'd teach a lesson, and, and that lesson would grab a hold of you for just a little bit, but then you'd walk back out that door, and you'd go back, and you'd just go right back to your life. you just put that aside, and you'd go right back doing what you wanted to do, and you did it week after week, after month, after month, after year, after year. And now it's time to take account. And you did it all for your own because you're lazy and you're wicked. You have no excuse. Look at verses 28 through 30. Now this is an odd thing to me. And I, if it would have stopped right there, it probably would have been a little bit easier, but it doesn't. It says this, "...so take the talent from him." Take that opportunity. Remember, the talent is that opportunity to use your abilities. Take that talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness, for in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you just thought this was a nice little parable about a businessman and money, you just got woke up. Because he said, you take that man and you cast him into hell. This is a spiritual lesson here. This is a spiritual story about what do we do with our opportunities, our spiritual opportunities, while we are here on this earth. And if we don't do anything with them, he says, in the end, you'll be cast into outer darkness. You are a worthless servant. Now, I want to tell you, in the church today, and let's just bring this home if we can with a few minutes we got left. In our church today, there are a lot of people that say they're serving the Lord. There are people who shake your hand when you walk in the church. There are people who are teaching your children in Sunday school that are teaching you. There are people who are preaching, that are serving on boards, who are singing, who are playing instruments, and they all say we're serving the Lord. Um, but the fact is among these people in any church in America, there are, there's two churches in America. We, I hope we all understand this. There's the little C church and there's the big C church. In other words, there's the church that we all see with our visible eyes. It's a, it's buildings and lights and pews and people. And then there's the big C church, which is, which is the church of Jesus Christ. That are, that is the church of the redeemed. That is those that are really saved. And they aren't always the same. Okay? You see, the fact is, among any church, there's going to be wheat and there's going to be tares. There's going to be really saved people and there's going to be some people that are not saved. And if you go back to that parable, they look a lot alike. They sound a lot alike. They can even act a lot alike. But the difference is the fruit. You remember wheat and tares, they grow up together and you can't tell them apart until the head begins to appear the head of grain, then it's like, oh, well, that's wheat. Why? Because I can see the fruit. It's what Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. See, tares aren't always, you can't walk into a church and everybody that's doing is the real Christians and everybody that's sitting is the, it doesn't work that way, does it? See, the fact is, tares aren't always just the ones sitting around. Sometimes tares are, are very involved. I remember reading a story one time a few weeks ago about a lady who taught Sunday school. Volunteered to teach Sunday school at her church to teach little kids, and it was in an urban setting. And somewhere after uh, several months, they found out that every day when they she would take those children, she'd walk them over to a bakery, and she'd buy them treats and stuff at the bakery. And that's and she did it every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Now listen, there, there's nothing wrong with that as a nice treat, but every Sunday. Why would she do that? Well, see, the reason she did that because she had absolutely no interest in teaching them the Word of God. She just needed to entertain them for for 50 minutes or an hour to get them out of there. She had no interest in, in teaching them. Now, she had volunteered for the assignment, and she probably in some way thought she was serving God, but she couldn't serve God because she didn't know God. Because if she would have known God, she would know what's important to Him. What furthers the kingdom, and which? And, and by the way, it ain't feeding them donuts, right? It's teaching them the word of God. That disciples them. That furthers. Them. Again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not down on donuts, right? I mean, that's okay, but not. Are you with me? Not every Sunday. I've seen that, by the way. I mean, I've I've been in children's programs throughout the years, and you'll find people. I mean, they'll get in there and do one quick lesson, and boom, let's get these kids outside, right? And I get it. I get it, there's a temptation to do that, but what furthers his kingdom is the teaching of his word. What what furthers his kingdom is is other things that sometimes can be a little stressful and a little hard work, right? But that's the opportunity we've been given. So he tells in this parable, he says, take the talent. And remember, that talent is the opportunity to serve God. It's not his ability. That's not what this is about. Take the talent. Take the opportunity that I gave him. Take that opportunity and go give it to the guy who's got ten talents. Now that, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first read that, that kind of bothers me. Kind of bothers me because to me, it just don't seem fair. Anybody else? Does that bother you all sometime? I get bothered by that kind of stuff. See, to me, he has just commended the five-talent guy. Man, way to go. Right? You had five talents. You made five more. Well done. And then the two talent guy steps up and says, Hey, you only gave me, I only had two talents, but, but I made two more. And he says, Man, way to go, guy. You did, you did awesome, man. Come, come on in. You, I'm going to make you, you're faithful over little. I'm going to put you over much. So my question is, when it comes down to this one talent that he's got to give, why wouldn't you give it to the two talent guy? Or why wouldn't you split it? and give half... Everybody with me? Why don't you be... Why why aren't you being a little more fair here, God? Why do you have to give it to the ten-talent guy? Well, now, I will just tell you right off the bat, this is a hard question to answer. I don't know necessarily the answer to this, because God doesn't give us a lot of of details other than to say that to him who has given much, even more will be given. I don't know why he gives it to the five-talent guy. But just for a moment... I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a businessman. Okay? Just for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of a businessman. You, remember we talked about a talent of silver in today's money is somewhere between 17 and 18 thousand dollars. So you've got one guy that just turned 85 thousand dollars into 170. You got another guy that turned 35 thousand into 70. And all of a sudden, you find yourself with $17,000 that you've got to give to, to somebody. Now, you're a businessman. What would you do? Again, it's all about your money. This is your money. $17,000 is a lot of money. Who would you give it to? Guys, I don't know about you, but I'm going to give it to the guy who's probably got the most capacity to handle it and has already proven that he can handle it. See, it ain't about being fair. It's about furthering the kingdom. It's about furthering my money. So I'm going to give it to the... the two-talent guy did great. And I'm, all, I'm super proud of him. Just as much as I am as the other guy. But it's, I got $17,000. I'm going to give it to the five-talent guy. Because he's got the most capacity and he's already proven that he can handle it. Now, again... Why does God that's just me. Why does God do what he does? Well, I always revert back to my favorite answer Psalm 115:3. God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. Right? But I can tell you this, God is all about advancing his kingdom. God is all about advancing his kingdom. He ain't about making you feel good. He's not about your feelings. He's not about fairness. He's about advancing the kingdom. So he's going to do whatever he feels best to advance the kingdom. In this case, it was to give it to the five-talent guy. I'll tell you one thing, though, one thing that is absolutely for sure, whatever the phonies have, he'll take it away from them. 28 through 30, take the talent from him. Take the opportunity. I gave it to him week after week, after month after month, after year after year. He had an opportunity to further the kingdom, and he did absolutely nothing. It's done. Take the talent away from him and give it to somebody else. Give the opportunity to advance the kingdom to some other person. And you take that guy, and that guy at that point is, he's done. He's cooked. It's over. You take him and you cast him into outer darkness. By the way, if there's any question in anyone's mind that this young man or this one talent guy was ever a Christian, that should be put to rest because that is a definition of hell. Outer darkness is a definition of hell. The Bible says that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness of all. So utter darkness is the absence of God entirely, utterly. That's what outer darkness is. It's a, it's a place that's as far away from the light as you can possibly be. God is not there. God cannot be there, because if He was there in any capacity, there would be light. And if God is not there, it's a bad, bad place. And the Bible describes that place as hell. So this man is not a Christian, never has been a Christian. Now, we said it last week, and we're going to say it one more time today. This parable is all about being ready. Be sure you're ready when the day of judgment comes, when that day of reckoning comes, when that book of accountability is open. You better be sure that you're ready. Now that may be the day that Jesus returns. Maybe we're alive when He comes back. Maybe He's coming back in 30 days. Maybe He's coming back in three years and, and somebody will, or maybe we walk out of here today and we're killed in a car wreck going home and that day is today. We don't know. That's what He says over and over. You don't know when that day is going to be. But these two parables, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of talents, be ready. Be ready. Be ready over and over and over again. You're going to face God. And what you've done with your spiritual opportunities, you will be judged for that. Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Did you use those opportunities to to further His kingdom? Did you bring fruit not only in your life, but fruit to His kingdom? Or did you just bury them and waste them and go right along with your life doing what you want to do? It just leads your own life doing whatever you're just oblivious to whatever the master wanted you to do. Because see folks, eternal, what you do, the Bible says eternal life lies in the, in the balance. I want to, I want to close with something this morning just for about five minutes and I want to make sure we understand something. There are some scriptures in the Bible that says eternal life is according to works, not earned by works. And I want you to see that, and I want, I want to explain to you this morning, what is the difference between according to works and earned by works? If you've got your Bible open, look down to verse, I think it's verse 41. And as soon as Jesus finishes these two parables... The parable of the ten virgins in the first part of the chapter, the parable of the talents. As soon as he's done, he immediately steps out of parable mode and he begins to teach directly about the judgment. Verses 31 to 36. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now look at the next word. For. That word is because. Why will you inherit the eternal life? Because I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Isn't that odd? He doesn't say you, you got eternal life because you believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Doesn't say that, does he? He says because you came, you visited, you gave. These are all doing things. These are all works. So so what's going, what's going on here? Well, this is the same thing the Bible talks about in other places. Romans 2, 6 through 7. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. What is the reward for your works? What is he He's saying? According to your works, I will give you eternal life. But notice it doesn't say earned by works. It says according to works. We see this taught other places. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You will not see him without holiness. You better, I mean, you've got to be set apart. You've got to be different. You've got to be changed. He says, strive for that, work for that, fight for that. And sometimes you see it the other way. For example, Ephesians 5, 5. For you can be sure of this, Paul says, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who, to, who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're out doing all these other things, those are your works, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. So all these scriptures talk about there's there's an effect for our works. Good works, eternal life. Bad works, not eternal life. So we can see in the scriptures that eternal life is is, is rewarded according to our works. Yet, we're all taught by the exact same scripture that eternal life is not earned by works. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Is it? Can it be any clearer than that? It's not a result of works. So what's the difference? What, how, do we, how do we take these scriptures? One says it's not earned by works, but another says it's according to works. How do, we, how do we balance these out? What is the Bible teaching us? What's the difference or the distinction between the two? Well, here's the difference. According to works means that God will take things like the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He will take the good deeds by which we let our light shine before men, and He will accept them as corroborating evidence of our faith. He will accept them as corroborating evidence of our faith. Listen, you're going to be acquitted before God because Christ bore your sin. That's, there's no way around that. You can never earn it. You can never do enough works to make you good enough with God. If you did everything right but only one thing wrong, your whole life, the Bible says you're just as guilty of breaking the whole law. You're a sinner. That there's no way you can get before God. We have to put our faith in the man that bore our cross, bore our sins on that cross, and that is Jesus Christ. That's how you get to heaven, right? That's that's it. That's the only way. But when we get there, our works will serve as evidence that we did indeed put our trust in Christ. You see, that's why if you look at that chapter again, there's two great parables. The parable of the virgins is all about waiting. And we got people that say, well, I'm waiting like those virgins. But the fact is, they're not doing anything. There's no evidence on the outside that they've been changed on the inside. And what this, what these, these scriptures all tell us is that we say it here, true salvation equals what? A changed life. True salvation equals fruit in your life. You will change. You will show on the outside what has happened to you on the inside. But the fact is, you, we have, something has to be, there's something has to be going on the outside to corroborate the faith. That's on the inside. We will be welcomed into the kingdom because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. But our faith will be corroborated by the works that we do on the outside. That's why James says faith without works is what? It ain't faith. You can say all you want. I believe in Jesus. You can get up every day and say it and say it and say it. Show me. Show me the evidence. That's why it's a—it's not earned by works, but it's according to works. Listen, that's the message of the parable of the talents. What we do evidences who we are. Let me say that again. What we do evidences who we are. Works evidence true faith. And there will be an accountability. Next week, we're going to turn which I think is a very appropriate parable, and that is the unworthy servant. Um, We've talked this this last two weeks about talents and abilities, and next week we're going to talk about the unworthy servant in Luke 17. Um, So if you get a chance to read ahead, please do. Let's pray.